Hello, everyone. Happy Fourth of July. All right, let's just get right to it. How many of you have a past? All right, some of you, last night there was four. Let's try that again. How many of you have a past? Here's the deal. Your past is either going to destroy you or drive you. One or the other. Everybody's got a past, good or bad. Everybody's got a past. What is going to happen to you because of your past? Are you going to let it eat you up, destroy you, keep you from being effective, keep you from Jesus? Or are you going to let it drive you and motivate you to embrace Jesus and move forward in your faith? One of two things is going to happen because we all have a past. All right? So that's where we start. Welcome to everybody online. Welcome, Palm Bay and Deland. Thank you for being there. Um, couple things I need to tell you about before we get started. Uh, out in the lobby, we, we have uh, offering boxes for the Lifeline food packing event. Uh, we need about $8,000 more uh, to take care of 50,000 meals for children in Haiti. And our teenagers, our youth, are going to do all the food packing. They're going to do the work. But just like at your house, you have to pay for it. All right? That's how... That's how this works. So the youth will do the labor. We do the funding. So there's, there's a box out there. I do want to say thank you. Since Memorial Day, we've been collecting all of the, um, the goodies for the uh, military ministry. There is a pile in the office about from here to that wall about this deep of all the supplies that are going to get boxed up and shit sent to military men and women all over uh, the world. So thank you so much for that. That is... Uh, that is absolutely fantastic. Um, so now we want to get, we want to, this will be the last chance we need to finish off this, this food packing project this weekend. So, so thank you for that. Um, as you know, uh, we had a group in Egypt, um, just got back a couple weeks ago, and there's unique pictures that get taken when you travel with me, and people try to blackmail me with these pictures. So the best way to do it when people are going to blackmail you is just to go public, right? So I, I want to show you some pictures that you normally don't see when you go to Egypt, but we have a few here. Uh, this is me in Luxor. Uh, if you ever go to the Valley of the Kings, uh, this is one of the sites you might see. Uh, this is me in Alexandria. Uh, this is me on the airplane. This is me on a bus. You can see the pyramid behind you, that, so you'll know uh, we're, we're, we're in Egypt. Uh, this, this is me in uh, either Cairo or Frankfurt. I forget where. Uh, here I am sleeping on the Nile. Um, so these are, you know, these are not pictures you always get, but I just want you to know they're available. If you travel with me, you can get your own, uh, your own shots like that. All right, so get your Bibles out. Uh, Isaiah chapter 43 if you only had Isaiah 43, if that's the only chapter you were handed, you'd be good to go. You would know about creation. You would know about the miracles in the Old Testament, which we're going to get to. You would know about the resurrection. You would have everything you need for your faith if you only had this one chapter. It is that amazing. Now, we're only going to focus on the middle section of that today where he talks about the past. And it's an interesting dynamic. Here's what he says. I'll summarize it first. He says, remember the past, forget the past, and review the past. And those aren't my words. They are the exact words that God gave to Isaiah. So that tells us that he wants us to deal with the past because the past is going to define us. 
Either it's going to drive us and motivate us, or it's going to destroy us. But the past is there for us to learn from. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's Word, we will tackle these passages. So this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, listen to what He said, for your sake, I will send to Babylon... And I will bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took such pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there. Never to rise again. They were extinguished, stuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calmness for me, or lavished me with the fat of sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and sins for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father, Adam, sinned. Your spokesperson rebelled against me. So I will disgrace the dignitaries of your temple, and I will cosign Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. You can be seated. All right, so he starts off by saying, remember the past. Now, what are we supposed to remember? He focuses on one major event, and that is when Israel was brought out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. All right, the defining event for Jewish people, whether it be 3,500 years ago or whether it be this morning, the defining moment for any Jewish person is the crossing of the Red Sea. That's when God delivered his people. You and I look back today, the defining moment for every Christian is very simple. What is it? It's the resurrection. The resurrection from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ is not raised, then our faith is in vain and everything we believe is useless. For the Jewish person, the one, the one fact that everybody knew and counted on was that story of Moses. And it was the 12 plagues and it is specifically the crossing of the Red Sea. All right. Now, just to give you a little something to do research, all right, liberals go crazy about this kind of stuff. The word that is used there is Reed Sea. 
All right. It is not red. Red Sea is a modern term. And they say, well, the Reed Sea was actually only two inches deep and the Israelites just walked across. It wasn't a big deal. Well, here's the deal. It's even a bigger deal to me because if the entire Egyptian army died in two inches of water, I got an even bigger miracle to tell you about. Now, here's what they're not smart enough to know because it takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of travel, but I'll help you here. You can look this up. The Red Sea is the only salt water in the world that has reeds growing beside its banks. Therefore, it was called the Reed Sea. Reeds grow in fresh water. They do not grow in salt water except at the Red Sea. That's free. You can look, you can look all that up. But so Moses gets to the spot. This is in Exodus 14. Moses gets to the spot, <coughs> excuse me, where they're going to cross over, but they don't know they're going to cross over. God didn't tell them ahead of time, hey, we're going to cross over the Red Sea here. God just said, follow me. Remember what Jesus told you? Follow me. He didn't tell you what obstacles you'd be up against. He didn't tell you what you'd have to overcome. He just said, follow me and I've got you. Where Moses crossed the sea, here he is. He's got roughly six million people. Israelites, some Egyptians that left with him. They've got the Red Sea behind them with reeds in it, free. All right. He's got the Egyptians coming straight at him. On the north and the south are two mountain ranges. There's nowhere to go. That's why they're freaked out. They're standing there looking at the Red Sea and looking at the Egyptian army, and there's nowhere to go. God speaks to Moses, and Moses says, it's in Exodus 14, 14. He's, God says, Moses, stand still. Tell the people to stand still, and I will show you great things. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So the most powerful army on earth coming at them, 600 armed, armed iron chariots, all of their army, everybody that's left, firstborn's all dead, but they rallied everybody they could, and they want vengeance. And then God opens up the sea, and God's people walk across it. Chapter 15 is fun to read. Exodus 15 is a song that Moses' sister Miriam wrote to celebrate that moment. And the whole thing is about God has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. So Isaiah refers back to that story and says, remember the horse and the rider? I snuffed them out like a wick. Okay. Let's go back to those of you that think, well, I, I don't see God doing, you know, God's a loving God. He is a loving God, but don't mess with him. Depended on which side of the Red Sea you were on that day, whether you saw the grace of God or the judgment of God. Does that make sense to anybody? Are you with me there? Yeah. See, God made the wheels fall off their chariots, and then God closed up the Red Sea, and they all drowned, the entire, the entire army. And if you look at Egyptian history, there's a 200-year gap between Egypt being a world power. They've been a world power for 6,000 years, but there's a 200-year gap where they do nothing. Well, let me tell you why they did nothing. They had no army. They were gone. They've got to totally rebuild. Firstborn are all dead, and you lost your whole army. you got some rebuilding to do. It took 200 years for them to rebuild that nation as a result of them challenging the living God. That's the story that God tells 
the people through Isaiah to remember. Remember the past? Remember when you were out of options? Remember when your enemy was coming against you? Remember when there were mountains on both sides and how God provided? Look, I don't know what you're up against today. I don't know what mountains you face. I don't know what armies are coming at you. But I know that the message is for you and me to remember the past. Not only do I have this story, but you and I have the resurrection. We have the hope of life after death. We have the hope of forgiveness of sins. And I love it in this passage. It says that God forgives our transgressions. Why? Did you catch that? Why does God forgive us? You guys have Bibles? For his sake. For his sake. He wants to have a relationship with us. You and I still have to make a decision. We have to accept Jesus. We have to repent of our sins. We have to be baptized. We have to follow. We have to do these things. But he's already paid the price for his sake. He wants to have a relationship with us. And it's his grace that offers us forgiveness. So remember the past. When things are going bad, when it looks like the country's out of control, your life's out of control, the job's out of control, your family's out of control, can you imagine it being any worse than what Moses had to stare down? And God said, Moses, stand still, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. So remember the past. But then, as you go on, he specifically says, where am I at here? Verse 18. Forget the past. He just told me to remember the past. Now he says, forget it. It says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. All right, I thought I was remembering. There are certain things you're supposed to remember what God did. What am I supposed to forget? My past. Your past. Because we all admitted we have a past. And that past is littered. It's littered with sin. And it's littered with addiction. And it's littered with mistakes that we've made. Words we've said. Deeds we've done. It's littered. But the problem is a lot of us end up like this guy. And we carry around all this baggage. Now I travel with people like this. I prefer to travel with a backpack because I'd rather be smelly because that just affects you rather than me have to carry all this. But let's just say this is your, your past sexual sin and this is your, your alcohol and drugs and, and this is your unforgiveness and, and you, you fill up the bags with every, whatever you want, but a whole lot of Christians walk around with their past with them all the time. If Jesus' death means anything, it means that he took your past away. When you were baptized, your sins were forgiven for the past, the present, and the future. Because if I had to be baptized every time I sinned, I'd never get out of the water. We've been through that. When I accept Jesus Christ, his he makes us just, justification. He makes us right with God. And so he said, quit carrying around the baggage. Now, the next phrase, crazy preachers love to jump on this next phrase. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And they take that to any lengths they want to take it to. Uh, mostly heresy. See, I'm doing a new thing. The Messiah is going to come, and the Messiah is going to die for your sin. 
Not I'm doing a new thing and I want you to get this and buy that and have this and go there. That's just paganism. All right. God is worried about one thing and one thing only. Your soul and then everybody's soul around you. That's the only facts that God is worried about. And we make God into some kind of Western materialistic God, and God could care less about that stuff. Do you know 50% 50 of the world lives on less than $2 a day per household? Per household. So does God hate all those people and love you and me? No. But... Satan wants you and me to be convinced that it's all about the material. God said, no, I'm doing a new thing. And the new thing is that I'm sending Jesus to pay the price for everybody, so forget the past. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain forward to what is What's ahead. Jesus is ahead. Anybody know about Paul's past? He killed Christians. He's a devout Jew, knows the word. He persecutes, arrests, and publicly affirms the killing of Christians. That's Paul's past. And Paul said, because I've accepted Jesus, I can now forget about my past. I can put down all the bags. Now, let me tell you why we don't. Because if you carry your bags around, you can get a lot of attention. Oh, man, I see you have a lot of bags. And people like to talk about their bags. I like to talk about Jesus. I got a lot of bags. I choose to put them down and talk about Jesus. But as long as you're carrying your bags, you've got a convenient excuse. Well, you see, I can talk about this and I don't have to work in the children's department. I don't have to teach. I don't have to give because I'm busy. I'm carrying all these bags. Put the bags down. Didn't Jesus die for those bags? Didn't he pay the price? Why would you keep lugging them around? Put down the bags and go teach. Go help children. Go help on mission trips. Go help teenagers. Go feed children in Haiti. But you won't do it if you're still saying, Hey, I need to talk to you about this bag. Put it down. Jesus already died for it. Or at the very least, get help. Get somebody else to help take it off of you, and they'll lay it down if you can't do it yourself. But that's the whole point. The past has been cleansed. And that's the hardest message, I think. It's simple as it is. It's the hardest thing for people to grasp that aren't Christians. You mean <clears throat> everything I've done can be forgiven? That is Christianity. That's the whole point. Whether you're six years old or you're 106, the point is that Jesus died to wipe away all of your sins and to clear the slate. All right, creation moment. I have behind me pieces from a watch. All right. This is back when watches were watches. All right. Your Kmart watch does not look like this today. But this is back when watches were watches. Okay. So all of these watch parts, if you were to put them together, would make a beautiful handcrafted watch. According to evolution, if we leave those watch parts laying here on this table for six million years, a watch will form. How many of you believe that? If you do, that's a, that's a great leap of faith. But here's the problem. I gave you the watch parts. 
Evolution says the watch parts created themselves and then put themselves together and made the watch. I was generous enough to give you the watch parts first. And you still said, no, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. That's why God said, you need to remember me. That's why Jewish people to this day, they, they wear the yarmulkes on their head. You know why, right? To show that there is authority over them. Even, even, the, even Jewish people that are not totally sold out still wear the yarmulke to show that there is a God above them. That there is some supreme power that is guiding them and guiding their lives and that they are under authority so that you remember the past. You remember that there's a God who's been working since the beginning of time and then you forget the past. Let me take you through dealing with grief, all right? Because a lot of people carry this burden. You're dealing with grief from death, grief from divorce, maybe grief from being single. Maybe you're dealing with grief of a job. Maybe you feel like time has been wasted. Can I, can I tell you, there's a great verse in the book of Joel. Joel's only three chapters. You should read it. But the prophet Joel says this, God will make up for the years that the locusts have eaten. Did you hear me? God will make up for the years that the locusts have eaten. Didn't say that the locusts, when they come, won't eat your crops too. But he said the good news, when you bring God into your life, God can make up for the years. He'll fix all those. But I wasted 40 years. I wasted 10 years. I, I, I went off the rails for three years. God can make up for the years that the locusts have eaten. But you're grieving. Here's what it looks like. One writer has said it this way. He said, grieving is like having broken ribs. On the outside, you look fine. But with every breath, it hurts. That's what, that's what it is. And people look at you and they don't, they don't see it. They, they can't see that because on the outside, we look fine. It's the inside that hurts. That's why it's so important that you let Jesus erase the past. Because those internal wounds, things you've done, things that have been done to you, man, they are horrific. And you have to grieve your way through some of that pain by holding on to what Jesus did to eliminate the past. What was done to you and what you did to yourself, but it still needs to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus himself. All right, one more topic I want to get into on this particular issue. All right. I'm going to give you another, another point that I normally don't give you, okay? In our culture, I never thought I would need this, but in our culture today, people have coined this, this phrase, I was born that way. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about sexual orientations, which seems to be three or four new ones every day. Um, I grew up on a farm, so it's still male and female. Um, but it's not just that. It's, I'm male, I'm female, I'm this, I'm that. It's, uh, well, I, I, I was born an alcoholic, I was born a drug addict. Listen, I get it. Some people had a harder time. You grew up in a home where everybody was an alcoholic, you probably got some genetic stuff to deal with. I understand that. But let me help you out. I'm going to give you that fact. I don't believe it, but I'm going to give this to you that you were born that way. Just because I'm generous. Fair? Anybody know what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3? You've got to get you guys Bibles. Jesus said, you must be born again. 
So I don't care what you were born with or what your past looks like. Jesus said you've got to be born again. It's through Nicodemus, the guy that's talking to him. He goes, I can't go back into my mother's womb. Have you lost your mind? Jesus said, no, no, no. He said, you've been born of water. Now you need to be born of the Spirit. There is a second birth that has to take place. And that's what happens when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are born again. So I was born that way, yes, but now you've been reborn so that you've been set free from everything you thought you were born with. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody here? All right. That would have been a good place for an amen. All right. Like a comedian begging for a laugh. It's okay. Sorry. All right. Then he says, move over to verse 25. He says, no, verse 26. Review the past for me. All right. Now God says, okay, your turn. He said, remember the past. Remember who I am and remember what I've done for you. Then he said, forget the past. Remember how I paid the price for you. Then he says, how about you review the past and argue your innocence with me? Anybody here want to argue your innocence with God? You've remembered God. You've forgotten your past. But, I, but the people at the time of Isaiah still want to argue with God. Because there's always some religious person out there that thinks they're smarter than God. And that's what's going on here. They, they've decided that, that we're more together than God is. And God said, why don't you go ahead? Let's review. Let's review the past. And you can, you can argue with me. Job tried it. If you'd like to read the last four or five chapters of Job, it's one of the greatest passages in all the Bible where God, God gets angry at, at God, Job gets angry at God and starts questioning God. And then God goes on a tirade for four chapters asking Job questions about the universe. And this, this is the plastic line. Job says, God says, Job, I want an answer from you. And Job said, I have spoken once, I have spoken twice, and I will not speak again. In other words, i got nothing else to say to God. Oh, you have these dumb people. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say some things to God. You're going face down. You're going face down, and the only words out of your mouth will be this. Jesus Christ is Lord. That will be the only words that you will say, either either to open the doors of heaven or to your own condemnation. That's the only words that will be spoken. So if you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus, the people will be over here for decision. If you're online, there's a button you can push. Last night we had two young ladies gave their lives to the Lord. We had two baptisms last night. It was was fantastic. I know there's people here that need to make that decision. I know there's people online. You're carrying the baggage around. When are you going to look back to God and say, I've carried enough? I've carried this long enough. I'm ready to lay it down. All right, let's talk about the review and we'll get to communion. Here's what Luke 22 says. This is at the Last Supper. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this. How? In remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Remember the past, what God's done for you. Forget the past, what you've done. And then 
review the past, what Jesus has done on our behalf. Listen, here's what most Americans look like. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but this picture sums up America about as well as I could give it to you. Now listen, I got nothing against the truck, the camper, or the boat. In fact, I know a pastor that would love to borrow those from, from, uh, from any of you, all right? But this is truly America. We drag stuff around with us everywhere we go thinking somehow this is, this is going to make it. This makes us something. Can I just point to Miami? Can I point to Miami right now and show you how quickly you can have stuff and how quickly everything can be gone? 